everybody, I'm Roxy. And I'm Priska. And we are the Two Horned Goats. <laughs> Welcome everybody to season two, episode six, where we're going to be doing an interesting two-part series. Yeah, it's going to be a little bit different. Um, we are going to be talking about our dad. Okay, so I know this is so exciting because we've never had guests before. Literally never had guests, and your dad is going to be the first one. It's kind of crazy. Why did we think about doing our episode this way, Priska? I feel like, like guys, like, or y'all, I feel like (laughs) y'all... Guys is canceled, Priska. Remember, we did that. I'm so sorry. It's okay. I feel like y'all have heard us talk a lot about our moms, and, you know, they have really big personalities. They have a really big part in shaping us, but Mm. we don't really talk about our dads often enough. And the thing about Roxy and my fathers is they're not your stereotypical Asian dad, right? Like, Roxy, what's your dad like? My dad is the most outgoing, free-spirited, free-thinking man I've ever met in my life. And he plays he is, what instruments? Tell the people. <laughs> he literally plays every single instrument except the piano. There we go. <laughs> he can fuck with some saxophone. Oh, yeah. Right? He, he can, can get down. He's like Bill Clinton. He could literally play anything. Oh, my God. And the reason why he got rejected from music school was because he couldn't play the piano. But he literally plays every single other instrument. Seriously? Yeah. He Wait, wanted to what? do music, and then he ended up of doing mechanical engineering anyways you know more on thing. that same bit. thing yeah same thing um and so roxy so this is actually gonna be a two-part series yes. we're gonna be doing one episode this week which is roxy's dad and then we're gonna be doing another episode next week which is gonna be my dad and the interesting about this episode is that roxy is gonna kind of be you're gonna hear the full episode the full interview with her dad and then she's gonna be kind of debriefing and writing some voiceovers that she's gonna share with you guys at the end of this episode so really excited to see what your journey's gonna be what your thoughts are I have listened to this um, interview and I think you guys are in for a real treat because there's an intimacy that y'all have that is, is really special. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I think you and I sort of came up with this idea and we were both super lit for it when we we're thinking about the topics for season two. Yeah. And in a way, I feel like I have I had certain expectations of it before I went into it. Wow. And it turned out very differently than what I thought. But in the end, learning so much more from it than I yeah. thought that I ever could. And this just goes to show that even with the people closest to you, like yeah. we are all still continuously learning right. about hidden parts of them that we don't know about. Right. And it's also like I noticed like you know doing this interview with with my dad and listening to yours we both know this story about our dads mm-hmm. and it's like this narrative that they told us and we've grown up with and we've internalized but either there's more twists and turns in that story than we may have been privy to or things like came out of order or you know what I'm saying like this kind of narrative we hold of our parents I I think we got to kind of unfurl that a little bit and have it come to life in a way that we haven't had before and i gotta say my dad is so excited he was so excited to be interviewed <laughs> for this because my dad is an avid fan of two horny goats what's like he listens up to michael every, i know my dad <laughs> hey dad um he you know listens to it on his walk every single day he's he's such a fan of ours he's yeah. so supportive and we're like his bitches right yeah we're his bitches <laughs> like oh, those are my bitches and you know, contextually like he says it in the most loving way possible all right so please don't get triggered by by that and um but my father you know i'm just so grateful for that he is my father you know he's been such a huge inspiration to me he instilled so much confidence in me and like he's an aquarius pisces cusp so you know he's a forward thinker but also 
possesses this really warm aspect of himself that's like feminine yeah you know yeah. um in a way that you know my mom doesn't have in a way right. you know they really do balance each other out yeah and so i just learned to be so much more appreciative of hearing his story from his own words yeah rather than everybody else telling me the pinpoints of his journey right you know so it was a really great honor and um I, I just have to correlate this with, you know, I've been talking about this movie called Little Big Women that yeah. my cousin Joseph did. And it became the best selling movie in all of Taiwan in 2020. Wow. And it's our grandmother's story, right? Wow. Like every single aspect of it. How did it feel watching it? The first scene was hard because it, um, this actress encapsulated my grandmother in such a way that she was brought back to life. Wow and that's intense it is and like hearing taiwanese spoken mm -hmm. on an international streamer and i like netflix where it's worldwide yeah. where anyone can watch it hits me very differently goodness i know and seeing everybody else's posts on it and like taiwanese groups on like facebook and stuff seeing how affected they were how they saw their grandma and my grandma mm. and the fact that we're doing these dad's episodes to show us how possible it is that our personal stories can relate to one another yeah you know that we are truly all interconnected that we all go through these experiences and see our ourselves and one another right right yeah, absolutely and i think um i think there was like a terrible movie review about minari that came out um and it was saying how like, dare they it was like oh this is like an impersonal experience like an impersonal telling of really story. and it's like okay hold on just because you don't look like the people on screen yeah. doesn't mean that it's not a universal story and on right. top of that like i think just because you can't relate to it doesn't mean like you can't experience Band the insides of yourself a bit and work on your compassion you know what i'm saying and like understand that this is a very personal experience for people that don't look like you you need to find a way to bridge that i was talking to a playwright once and and they were kind of saying the work of the play is not to come to the people mm. the work of the people is to come to the play yes the play needs to make you get up and leave your comfort zone and come to this new context this new story this new narrative you know and that's the power of this art and if you are unwilling as an audience to get up and come forward do the work do the like they've already done the work of for movies shooting it writing it like acting it all all the things promoting it they've already done all that work for plays it's very similar you know everyone behind the scenes is doing so much work mm -hmm. the least you can do as an audience is show up is be willing to go on this journey be willing to place yourself in unfamiliar places in a certain amount of discomfort even if it calls out some things in your childhood and your upbringing that may not have been good or may not have been right or may not have been normal you know it's pushing you and so i think a lot of asian art and asian american art that's getting notoriety you know from parasite to minari to um little big women it's allowing us to really showcase our stories and our experiences and the deep importance of things like filial piety you know? yeah and the fact that going off of what you're saying is the range of our experiences being able to put the audience member into their shoes yeah. because the thing about minari and little big women is that in parasite is that it is so specific right korean family in the midwest right you know back in the day yeah right that's a very specific experience yeah and so in some way you have to allow yourself to be pulled into connecting with that yeah 
because in some way we've all experienced that before, right? So yeah. this goes to sort of our topic before of representation. You know, it's like there is a range of experiences and a range of identities mm. within this one general category that people like to place people in. Yeah. But this is the time to showcase all of that. So I think all of this... 2021 has been extremely meaningful for me so far. Yeah. I think getting to examine this and I know my dad's been so excited about, you know, finally getting his time to shine and share his story Absolutely. on the podcast. Yeah. You know, um, that's very special. Absolutely. And so right before we jump into that, there is something we want to talk about that is a current event and, and it is oh, yes. the rise of anti-Asian violence. Yes. Um, and I know a lot of you guys have seen, but I, I think it's something like, anti-Asian violence in the U.S. has gone up like 1,300%. So I was on set, you know, I'm working with a lot of Asian actors on this movie. And one of my lead actors, she could not focus one day because she was too triggered by everything that's happening in our community. Oh, my goodness. And then she started texting me. She's like, what can we do? How are we organizing? And then this almost feels like what the black community went through last year. Yeah. And then I feel exhausted from that. Remember we had the mm-hmm. um, talk, the activism episode. I almost feel at a loss sometimes because I know we keep pushing to do things mm-hmm. and to engage and have dialogue. Do you mm-hmm. think, how are you feeling about all of this? Honestly, I'm still processing. Right, me too. And I think it makes me sad. It makes me angry. But more than anything, like you said, it makes me tired because... I do think, and we've talked about how we've internalized the model minority myth, you know, but I think that even growing up, I just saw my parents and I also found myself just trying to do everything to, to fit in. And by fit in, I know now that that meant acclimating and assimilating to white culture and making white people feel comfortable, you know, with us, with our foreignness, you know, I never wanted to rock the boat in any way I wanted to prove to them that I could be performing as a white person I know how much our immigrant parents and have worked to not take up too much space to just come and make a living for their family to just come and be a good citizen I just think that it's really cowardly to target these elderly people who are the least of their problems you you know what I'm saying I mean all of it is horrible but just targeting such a vulnerable population, it just makes me so tired because these are the people that makes me really angry, but it just feels like we've been fighting this low grade racism against our elders, our entire life. Mm -hmm. And also not only are we combating the blatant racism against Asians during this time, but also having to fight against discriminating against like the minorities that might be taking action upon the assault. Right. And having to convince the older generations, our parents and above, that this is not about the blacks or Latinos. Right. That's really complicated. That's really fucking hard, too, because we're all tired and we're all frustrated. Yeah. And we're all against racism. We're all against racism. But also, it's like these acts of racism are instigated due to... Mm -hmm a culmination of the frustration and inability to do anything. They attack the elderly knowing they can't do anything back. I think it's designed to pit minorities against minorities. A hundred percent. Minority on minority crime is 
a tool used to distract. You know what I'm saying? So, and we've talked about that on this show and it's just, I think I'm still processing. I don't know that I have a lot to like speak into, but all I know is like, you know, I watched a lot of the videos almost to the point where I was desensitized and you're right. Like I'm hoping that this can mean that we can have a deeper understanding of our black brothers and sisters. I don't think we'll ever understand where they're coming from to a degree that, you know, like, unless we were in their bodies, like we couldn't understand, we can't understand the burden they carry. I'm realizing like all the maybe platitudes I could share. They're not really useful for alleviating the anger and the sadness you feel and the tiredness you know it's so true because like when this actress is talking to me she's like what do we do like how do we change things and I feel exactly the same way you do Prisca I was like I just I'm just tired I felt like we've explored so many of these discussions and why is it still happening and why are they targeting like a different group now yeah you know and and why am I getting desensitized so quickly yes because now we've seen like seven of these videos that have gone viral and there's new ones every day, literally, you know, but seven that I can like name off the top of my head that I could see. And it took me a couple times. Like I was like, I I don't want to watch these. And then I was like, I want, I should watch these because I want to know, I want to know where we are. I I don't want to put my head in the sand, like ostrich it, you know, but I had to watch each of them a few times. And I think the moment I could click and, see my grandfather or my grandmother or my father or my mother or my aunt or my uncle in these videos the sadness and the anger it sprang out you know it's 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 so crazy that you say that because that was exactly what you said yeah when we were talking about how people didn't take covid seriously right last year right now with the constant berating of content the constant information of all these devastating things happening in the world all the time we have to desensitize because it's our self-defense mechanism right in our bodies and our minds and our soul what would be your advice to those dealing with what's happening right now i think just hold space for yourself yeah if you're angry like you're not alone like we're we're angry if you're sad you're not alone. I think in future episodes or, or maybe even in the break of this episode, we'll, we'll try to include resources for you to help. But even right now, just sitting here with our feelings is okay too. If we are a little too quick to action, we might not really have done the internal work um, and the internal reflection to be ready to take action. I feel exactly the same way you yeah. do. It's me and the actress had gone to a discussion. She was feeling really lit up by it and I was just like... I can't even process what happened last year now. Yeah. This is not going to process until next year for me. Yeah. You know? And I said, I need boundaries in my life. If I let that affect me now, I can't make this movie that I'm working on. Mm. You know? It's Mm. like, we have to forgive ourselves for being only able to do what we can do right now in this moment. Any form of activism is acceptable. Yeah. A march is acceptable. Uh, donations are acceptable. Yeah. You know, reposting something is acceptable. Mm-hmm. All of that's acceptable. You are doing enough. I think it is also like trusting a certain, trusting our allies to step up. Right. And I feel guilty even saying this out loud, but like, I don't feel like we should be alone in our burden for trying to fix this. This has to go beyond our community. And like, I think 
we are allowed to sit and heal and not feel the burden of action. You just hit the nail on the hammer, hammer on the nail. <laughs> but it's true. Mm-hmm. It's like everyone's always like, how is this going to change? It's systemic. It's true. Yeah. But change does not happen overnight. No. Right. Nothing helps with a screaming at the top of our lungs. Yeah. A lot of times that has happened in the past couple of years and there were really hard locks. The locks become harder to open right, yeah. or to unlock. But I feel like things are changing now. We are becoming more visible before, you know, major headliners or, or national news was not reporting it. But now yeah. they are. Now they are. Right? And and now- with the work of a lot of people that we know, it's not to name drop. It's to say all of us have the power to make a difference. Mm-hmm. And if you are ready and you have the capacity and the energy, by all means, we're saying do it because we need you right you can make a difference and we're here for you guys anytime our dms are open and if you ever want to talk to us or share about your thoughts and feelings or just any stories regarding this you may email us at hello at at com. and you know you might find us doing little talks on clubhouse where we'd want to hear from you guys about this very topic but Guys, we have like such a special treat. On that note, <laughs> I can't tell you. I'm gonna I'm gonna wax poetic a little bit because, Aww. you know, I've, I I listened to um, Roxy's interview with her dad. It is just a beautiful conversation. I'm so excited to present this to y'all. You know, on behalf of the two horny goats, <laughs> um, Roxy, go ahead and take it away. All right, goatees. So just to give a little bit of a background. I actually recorded this interview with my father back in Christmas of 2020, so this interview is a long time coming. And after editing this interview and re-listening to it, it gave me so much food for thought. And I remembered when I was recording it, I wasn't really sure how the interview would go, but all I can say is that after listening to it, I realized how lucky I am and how much I am a reflection of my father and how I wouldn't be here without him and his support. Um, This interview really humbled me and I can't wait to share my wonderful inspirational father with all of you. Um, It's very much true that whenever he would come to visit, I think the last time he came to LA was around six, if not more years ago, and all of my friends would congregate and push to see him because that's just how special of a man he is. And if this has taught me anything, I beseech you to record your conversations with your parents, your grandparents, or any of your family members, because what this has taught me is the mortality of our existence. Everything, every conversation, every memory that's shared between us as people is legacy and it's history and it's knowledge and wisdom and love that's passed down. So um, this has been such a beautiful honor. And thank you, Dad, for allowing me (laughs) to put you on such a public platform so that we could all get to hear your story a little bit more. My father and I discuss so many things. We talk about the immigration experience, the pressure of acclimation, culture shock, and also the mask we wear and the mask we shed in public and in private, and uh, the importance of also being yourself. He never fails to astound me with the way that he sees the world and his compassion and knowledge and innovative way of thinking, and I'm so lucky I get to share that with all of you. 
And I hope that you all get to know me a little bit deeper by getting to know my father. So also make sure to stay tuned for a very special treat. At the end of this episode, my father treats us by singing a Taiwanese classic. So I hope that you stick around for that. So without further ado, I present to you my interview with my father. I am so excited to have my first official guest on our podcast, Two Horny Goats, none other than my dear father, Michael Shee. Dad, hi. Hi, Roxy. (laughs) How are you feeling? Merry Christmas. How are you? I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. I'm just a thousand miles away from you. I know, and it's really yeah. funny because, like, before all this, we were figuring out the technical difficulties for this, and now my dad has his earphone wire taped to the side of his face so that we could feel closer to him in terms of his microphone placement. Wow, well, this is the best way we can work it out. I mean, still work, huh? <laughs> yeah, you sound great, Dad. I love okay. you so much. Oh, me too. This is the only Christmas that we missed, that we couldn't get together for years, right? <sighs> How are you feeling about this year? Well, I feel this year is full of challenges. It's a lot. It's, it's a kind of unprecedented situation we have to deal with, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of turmoils. I mean, a lot of surprises. I mean, it's just one after another. I'm just glad. I mean, that you come to the end of the year. What was personally the most challenging aspect for you this year? Yeah, uh, I think the biggest challenge is that, number one, as I said, is a, is a kind of a, there's a lot of the unprecedented disruptions. Mm-hmm. And just take a few. I mean, that's here right in the beginning. I, I remember just right after the Chinese New Year, there was a big, I mean, pandemic. I mean, the virus break. I mean, the breakout in China, mm-hmm. and nobody had the experience how to cope, how to deal with that. And there's even the governments, I mean, there's even the regional governments, I mean, each provinces, cities, I mean, set up their own rule, regulations. It was absolutely chaos. And in the meantime, I have two factory that I need mm-hmm. to run. And mm-hmm. I'm, I was under the time pressure. I need to get the permissions from the local authorities because I cannot resume the productions without the local authorities' approval. Mm-hmm. So I was you know, fighting with the time. I was dealing with all different kind of regulations. I mean, every I mean, every city had their own interpretations. They they set their own rules, and I have a bunch of people they couldn't get back to the factory to work. So I mean, that that I think this year to me this year I'm encountering the first one was the Q one and encountering all this year unprecedented situation I never deal with, and then Q two then we have all this lockdown in Europe, right? And the sales, I mean, dropped from the, I mean, it's from 100% down to 10% overnight. It's very difficult to, to cope and, and, and try to maintain the operations, keep the supply chains in running. And then it's Q4 this year, fighting with the containers. <laughs> we, have, we have a finished product. I mean, I have no containers. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's a kind of interesting because most of our listeners are people my age and, you know, mm. we sort of don't understand what it's like to be like, we understand what it's like to be furloughed, fired or like mm. let go, laid off during this time. Mm. But we don't understand what it's like to be on the other side where you are the one letting people go. Yeah. Well, I think this year, this year we do something very exceptional because yeah, mm-hmm. I think traditionally when you deal with the, uh, a, a a huge, I mean, they see a turnaround of the huge change in business environment. 
if you cannot foresee what's going to happen say in the comings, I mean, there are two to three months, I think the best options and could be the only options you can do is try to cut the cost, right? But this year, I didn't lay off any single persons. Oh, how did you do that? Number one, I believe, I mean, this is the, uh, the virus situation, just because, mm-hmm. I mean, we, we don't have any experience how to deal with it. Mm-hmm. Number two, uh, if I look at the other uh, industry, I mean the market demands. I mean that's uh, it, 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 the the situation that we are dealing with today. It doesn't cause by economic recessions or depressions. It, it, it's really not the economics. I mean issues. I mean it's a pandemic. So mm-hmm. I think it's, it will be a short term. So it could be. I mean the situation will be in better control within. I mean two three months. So I, I decided not to lay off any people. But in turn around, I just have a various meetings. I mean a lot of meetings. I mean talk to my people. They say, look, I mean this is where we are. Right. It's a time to that we stay together, but we have to take the. Yes, we have to take some. We have to sacrifice. I mean all of us. Okay, from top to the bottom. I mean, we have to. I mean, for the management level, we have to take the salary cut, but we still have to work every day. The staff in the office, they have to take the. Uh, they have to take day off. I mean, there's how many days per month to reduce the cost. But the other good thing is because I mean, this year we are all grounded. We go nowhere. We cannot fly, so we save a lot of money. Some in traveling, <laughs> that's for sure. That's really great. I mean, like, just to give everybody some context, though, my dad is currently in Taiwan. That's where he and my mom live. And, you know, I'm here in Los Angeles. And, uh, you know, Taiwan's been doing very well with this whole COVID pandemic. You know, I think it's one of the leading countries in handling the virus. So, Dad, you and I are sort of living different lifestyles. Like, here in L.A., we've been in lockdown ever since March. And we have no idea when restrictions are lifting simply because the cases just keep rising you know mm. so it, it is a very different experience here like i always wondered like what it would be like if we were in the same town going through the same thing but we're not you know we're yeah. experiencing this virus completely differently yeah 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 i must say see i mean that's the uh, living in taiwan is is very fortunately i mean if i compare to i mean that's the uh, people have to deal with i mean in the uh, in, in different countries right but i think that's here uh, because taiwan paid the cost back in 93 or 94 mm-hmm. because the, uh, there was the uh, the SARS I mean the uh, outbreaks in, in 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 Asia right right and at that time uh, they see uh, the SARS did not affect anything in Europe also in the state mm-hmm. so I think the people in Taiwan I mean they see uh, they learned the painful I mean they see uh, lessons I mean when they were suffer from the uh, SARS I mean outbreak yes. at that yes. time so there was uh, some kind of protocol so I mean I, I remember this time when we have the coronavirus, I mean, they see uh, coming to these islands in also after the Chinese New Year. And people automatically, they started wearing masks automatically because they know this is the best way. I mean, they see uh, try to get the, uh, the, the, the outbreak in better control. And then people will start to do all the uh, sanitizations. They know they they automatically know they need to wash your hands. So I mean, this year because I mean this year SARS situation they had in '93, they also have some kind, if I may call it, like like a like a, a natural protocols that people will follow up. I mean, automatically. It's not like the I mean the situation in other countries. It might take mm-hmm. months. I mean, that's to convince the people just the, uh, to to cover their mouth and nose, right? Yeah, for sure, for sure. Thank you for sharing all of that. I sort of want to transition us into the core chunk of our dialogue today. So, Dad, 
Yeah. You know, I think what is so interesting about like our experience as Asian Americans is even though I am still considered first generation mm. and I identify, but I identify mostly as an American my whole life. Mm. So I'm very curious to learn a little bit deeper about you, especially when you were in your youth. And I always felt that, you know, coming to the Netherlands when, you know, you and mom were pregnant with me and like taking that big leap of faith was such a courageous act in your 20s. What was sort of going through your mind during that time? What propelled you or made you make that decision? Before I make my final decisions, actually, I had the chance to go to the States and also have a short trip to Europe. Before uh, your mom and I, we moved to the Netherlands. Mm-hmm. So that gives you, I mean, my first trip to the U.S., I think, was here back in 96. And the, after that, I also uh, lay over in Europe, I mean, for uh, nearly like six or seven weeks. So this is funny. I mean, the first time I went abroad, I never have on any airplane. I n- never fly. But my first trips actually airborne. I make the around the world trip in three months. Wow. <laughs> so I I went to the LA first, then after the New Jersey, then UK, Germany, Denmark, France, whatever. How old so, I mean, were you? Ah, uh, I was twenty-seven. Mm. So that gave me a kind of idea. I mean, how does the how did U.S. look like, and was the difference between U.S. and also Europe? So when the chance came to me, um, I believe it was the year '97. My boss came to me. They said that we need to set up the abundant warehouse in the Netherlands. Would you and your wife consider to relocate to relocate to the Netherlands for a year? At that time, very funny. I also have the uh, the approval, the admissions, from the graduate schools in Rutgers University. Wow! I, and because I also passed the uh, the TOEFL, I also passed all the tests. Even I met the department head um, during my short stay in New Jersey in '86. And the, because I went to went there, so I, I went to study of the mechanical engineer. I mean, that's your master degree. So the head of the mechanical engineering department, I mean, he knows I can service machine because I was I was a service tech at that time, and I can program uh, the machines. I can do the all the test cut. It was very exciting. I mean, he wanted to have me to study in a degree, and in the meantime, I, in the meantime, I also can maintain all the equipment. So at that time, I have I have two choices: either I headed for the east, that's to New Jersey, or I headed for the west. That's for Europe. Mm-hmm. So at that time, I mean, I have a, a couple of rounds of talk with your mom, and then eventually we decided because at that time, most of people, a lot of people, went to the states for graduate for graduate school, but very few people went to Europe. But to me, I mean, this I feel, I mean, this Europe has a different things to offer than U.S. I like the uh, the uh, the quality of living. I like the culture, even I hate the weather. <laughs> um, and at the time, because I think the Europe just like the, uh, a virgin, I mean, the territory. I mean, for to a lot of Taiwanese people, I said, why should I hop on the uh, the cloudy? I mean, the uh, very cloudy trend. I mean, to the U.S. 
maybe I mean give myself a chance to, to Europe. I have a better shot. So that is why I mean we moved to the Netherlands. Daddy, can you share with me a memory? The first, I mean, you talked about your first trip rounding the world in three months. I mean, that must have been an incredible experience for somebody in their 20s who's never stepped foot outside of Taiwan. Can you share with me what that, what a significant memory of culture shock? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd love to do that. I remember uh, my first flight to, to LA. At that time, the flight... I remember just like yesterday. I flew the Singapore airline. At that time, the aircraft still cannot do the non-stop flight from Taipei to LA. You have to lay over in Honolulu. Mm. And I have no idea. I have no idea about the jet lags. I have no ideas about flying times. I, mean, I was really enjoy the food and the drinks and the free movie. I mean, in the air. <laughs> so, so I, I think that's just be, one hour before. I mean, we land in Honolulu, so I, I just felt tired. I wanted to get to sleep. And then the flight attendant just woke me up. She woke me up 10 minutes. I was about to land. I said, what? So, uh, and then that there was a time I was so inexperienced. I didn't know I mean, how, to, uh, I mean, the, how to deal with the jet lags. And, and even went through the immigration. So I, I mean, my English was uh, very, very limited at that time. Right? I was nervous. But this is not the best part. The best part, I mean, is actually when I receive the instruction from the company. They they want me to, I mean, continue my journeys, go over to Europe. My biggest challenge is, I mean, that's the. Uh, um, I, I think that maybe I, I'll take it back a little bit. I mean, that's the, my first visit to the state. My cultural shocks. I mean, that's the, to me. That's my first impression was. I mean, this is such a free country, right? At first, I went to the uh, uh, the shooting range. I said, oh, my God, in this country. I mean, you can load the bullets. And you can go to the shooting range. You can shoot the the, uh, the pistol, <laughs> the rifle, as long as you have money. <laughs> and that's the first time. And second shock was, at that time, all the airports. You literally can reach to any boarding gate. There's no security at all. Mm. And that was right before the 9-11, right? So, mm. I mean, at that time, every airport in the state is so free. I feel this is such a free country. You can go to a shooting range. You can shoot as long as you want it. And you, you can reach them. I mean, you go to the, the airport just like walking in your own backyard. It's, it's such a free country. That was my, not my, the cultural shocks to me. Mm. And then the, uh, my trips to Europe, that was really a big challenge inside for me because at that time because I was holding the Taiwanese passport and getting the visa has always been a challenge I need to get visa for literally every country mm-hmm. so I applied my my visa for UK in New York City when I went to after I went to London I applied my visa for France I mean in London and I applied my visa for Germany in Paris it's just that one country one visa when I look back, I said, geez, I mean, this year, if, if I get stuck in one country, then I'm stuck. If I couldn't get the visa for the next country, then, then I will, I'll be stuck there. Mm-hmm. And I have no experience, even I don't know, I mean, let's see how to buy the, the new L ticket. I think it's, it's just, I don't know, I mean, what, what kind of gut I had. I just go ahead and then I just country by country apply visa, find a hotel, and eventually I I got myself home back safely after three months. 
Good for you. Look at you. Yeah. The world is your oyster, right, Dad? (laughs) Can you tell me about some of the fears? Like, were you excited or were you scared about moving across the world? The biggest fear uh, when I relocate to new countries, the biggest fears, I mean, the first things is about can we adapt? Mm -hmm. The second thing would be, I mean, the, uh, the tax the regulations. Just for instance, I mean, even those, I mean, it it sounds easy. Just like when we moved to the Netherlands, right? Then I have to apply for a driving license in the Netherlands. And I use the U.S. driving license. And and yeah, yeah, I use the international driving license and manage it to convert into the, uh, the driving license in Holland. But again, the way they drive, because in Europe, I mean, there's here, I mean, there's a sign which you cannot find. You cannot find this sign in the U.S. It, it's a size is in orange. It's like a, a a square, like a diamond. In Europe, if you find this size, I mean, on this road, that means you have priorities. Any cars come from the site, they have to stop for you, mm. even even those if even there's no any traffic lights at all. Mm-hmm. That that's the system. I mean, sometimes this year my biggest fear is if you don't know the system, the people I mean follow, and people just look at you and they just see uh, just uneducated. I mean, mm-hmm. they see uh, stupidities. I mean, yeah. that's uh, that's always my fear. And then the second fear will be a language barrier. Right, because not okay. only were you like you have to speak fluent English, but also there's Dutch and all these other oh, languages. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. neighboring Europe. So, yeah. so what would that's, that's like extremely intimidating. Like people think about coming to what you were talking about, the crowded train to the United States, you know, but you were actually taking on even more of a challenge, right? Yeah, yeah it, it is. I mean, they see, uh, and, and you know, European people, uh, some of them, they are quite elegant. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They yeah. have their egos. They have, yeah, I mean, they see, yeah, they're proud of their cultures. So that's just, uh, I think they see. If you ask me, my fear will be. I mean the. Uh, I mean the how to adapt to the local system, and also they see a potential language barrier issues. And Daddy, I gotta ask you. Like, mm. um, so you know, you came to a new place. You um, had me. You know, Mom is obviously mm. by your side, but also relying on you. What was your work environment like? Like, did you have to really prove yourself? What other challenges did you not expect, and how? How did you overcome them during that time? Yeah, I think that's pretty much every new job or after every relocation. I mean, my job descriptions always change. Mm. Just like, I mean, they see, uh, uh, speak a few, I mean, they see uh, when we moved to Europe, right? You were mm-hmm. born in Netherlands. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then see, uh, I was a service tech. Mm-hmm. And two years later, they, 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 they promote me out and become the sales managers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And from the service tax, now I, I, I become the sales guy. Right? And one year later, I become the director of the company. And then and I need to sign off the, uh, the, uh, the tax returns and I have to sign off the, uh, the financial reports. So, so the thing is, I mean, in Europe, I mean, within in six years, I transit myself from the uh, 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 service engineers and become the sales guys and then become the company's directors. And I was involved all the legals and also the, uh, the financial stuff. Dad, what's the secret ingredient for that? How do you do that? You just have to keep learning. And very important things. Don't shy to ask. Mm-hmm. And before you ask somebody, 
you need to do your homework. Make sure you ask the right questions,、mm-hmm. so you will get the right answer. They don't mind to teach you, but they want to see you. They want to feel your attitude. If you didn't work on your, if if you didn't work on yourself, if you didn't prepare, and、um, good enough. I mean, they see you before you go to see them. If they feel you just come here with a piece of blank paper and a, and a one pencil, and you you are expecting somebody go, going to give you a full lectures, you won't get anything because I mean people say I mean they they, they don't feel your attitude. Well, Dad, you know what's really interesting is when I ask about your failures and your hopes. It's always career oriented. Where did you find this drive? Because I know that Grandpa died when you were、mm. very young. Yeah, when I was twelve. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Like growing up with you know your mom and your siblings, and like I don't understand because like not that our aunts and you know my aunts and uncles don't have the same drive as you, but there's something so relentless about. You, your determination to not fail, or your determination to explore—like, where did that come from? Do you think it had anything to do with that? Frankly speaking, I mean,、mm. before I went to the university, I actually had a no care attitude.、Mm-hmm. I think I mean, before I went to the university, because the, at that time, you, you know, I told you before, I spent a lot of time in sports. I spent a lot of time in music. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes, my and, dad's an incredible musician, y'all. Yeah. So I'm. I love those things, and I think these all the academic things. I mean, I have far less interest in all those. I mean, whatever the、uh, all those academic things at, at school. But my mom, your grandma. I mean, she did one thing. It's very. I still appreciate very much till today. She gave me a lot of freedom. Mm. She gave me a lot of freedom to explore myself.、Mm-hmm. Right? She she tried to guide me, but only to certain extent.、Mm-hmm. She doesn't like I mean a lot of traditionals. I mean moms. I mean in 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 Taiwan they are very strict and they give you a very very clear guidelines. Either you do this, or if you if you don't do this, then what happens? Okay. So so didn't do it. She she gave me a lot of freedom. She also、um, how the teachers do to let me to play violin. I mean, when、mm-hmm. I was the ten、uh, or twelve years old, okay, and that that's a kind of privilege. That kind that's a kind of luxury. A lot of kids couldn't have. Yes, you know, in in those days. So so I think, again, to answer your questions, I myself I changed myself. At different stages, as I said, before universities, I, mean, I had you know, this kind of don't care, don't care attitudes. I mean, I just do what I want. When I went to the universities, I mean, that's it. I majored in me- mechanical engineering. I remember the first test I had back in the universities, and after the test, they announced what would be the、uh, uh, the correct answer for each question at the test. And if I when I check it out, I say, "Oh my God! I mean, this this is wrong. That that's wrong. That's also wrong. I think I might only score forty." But the week after, when I received my score, actually, they, I was I scored somewhere around close seventy eight. I said, "Wait a minute! <laughs> How could I score seventy eight? It's supposed to be only forty." And then the、uh, they they returns me、uh, my test sheet and because I have to do all the calculation formulations and this and that, and says oh this is all correct. It's just your、uh, mixed calculation. So minus two, this is. And I said wow this is really interesting. I mean to study university, and all the tests is no longer black and white. They also value your thought process. 
right? Mm. I said, this is really interesting. I love it. And I really, I started to dedicate more time in studying. And I started to get a good grade. I, after I was released from my military services, and then see, I got my first job. I remember that see, you asked me how I always I mean, consider my success and my success and the failure always work related. Because for me, work to me is a self-esteem person, right? Mm-hmm. And I also took a lot of responsibilities on my shoulders. And I also, I mean, they see, treat every job I did very seriously. If things were different, would you want to identify yourself some other way? No, because I, I think in the first 10 years, or I would say first, first 15 years of my career, I just do everything I could. Just want to make my mom and my family proud. Yep. I want to make my mom and my family proud. I mean, that's what I think the, the, the motivation, the drive force. So you have a deep fear of failing them, right? Yeah. So I, would, I, I did a lot of things beyond my colleagues will do. Mm-hmm. Do you think that this is something that most everybody kind of goes through, or do you think it's more specific to you? Uh, like when you observe other people, especially our generation now, and like you know, you know a lot of kids my age—not that we're kids, but like my adults my age now, like how it's different from yours. Like, what are your observations on that? Do they still want to make parents proud? Like, it's more—you know what I mean? Like, is that still yeah, as yeah. important? In your generation, I mean, this because I also have a lot of your colleagues working in my company. They're also at your age, right? Mm-hmm. The way my observation is, I mean, your generation is quite different than my generations, because your firstly, in my generations, we have a lot of burdens and also a lot of pressures, because your number one information are not as easy to obtain like today, right? Mm-hmm. So, so. That's therefore, I mean, this year, when I grew up, I grew up under certain kind of guidelines. I grew up, I mean, based on a lot of information exchanged mm. between my classmates and my friends, okay? Right. And it's very limited. So, so I think in my generation, I mean, this year, when we grew up, I mean, this year, it, it's, it's, it's very, a lot of influence, I mean, a lot of influence by the parents, okay? Mm-hmm. And also mm-hmm. by the siblings and also by the teachers. But your generation is different because I, if you recall, when you live in uh, New Jersey, right? Mm-hmm. That is where we get the American Online. Yes. <laughs> yeah, we, we subscribe American Online. I actually remember it, it cost me like $40 a month. Damn. Then you, get a, then <laughs> so then you got an money. email. You got mail, right? <laughs> yeah. And, and and if if you remember that year, even at that time you are still at the elementary school, you started to experience all this year the Internet Explorer, like Netscape. It started to find a lot of information through the Internet, right? Mm-hmm. And you educate yourself. So I found the generation in your generation, you are more self conscious. Yes. Yeah, a lot of things is more self centered. Yes. yes. You, you, you don't do a lot of things, I mean, this year on behalf or for somebody's interest, right? You are more self-centered, if I may call it, right? Mm-hmm. And, You're and, not wrong. Yeah, and also, in, in your generation, you are experience a lot more peer pressure yes. than I had. Yes. And again, all because of this internet, the social media, right? Mm-hmm. 
So, so I, I think it's it's nothing right or wrong. It's purely because I mean the whole societies. I mean it's transforming. Okay, it's it transition. Sorry, it's a transition. So, so you have to cope up with that. And and also in your generations, um, if if I may say right, the financial burdens on you is a lot more heavier than than mine. Can you explain? Yeah. I, I can explain. Okay, I remember when I come up, I got my first job, right? When I got my first jobs, I mean, they see I work hard, even though the salary, the salary wasn't that high, but still, I mean, the cost of living is not as high as like today. So I still can have saving, right? I still can every month I can make some saving. So at that time, the property price is still not as high as today. So I still can manage. I mean, if I work for If I work five or six years, if I can, can make some good some certain saving per month, as long as I work for between I mean, five to seven years, I should have some kind of saving will enable me to pay the down payment for my first flat apartment. Mm-hmm. But if you look at today, it's not possible. No, <laughs> right? no, there's no. I don't even know when I can even buy my own house or yeah. apartment anytime soon. So, so I think at my age, I mean, in my time, more like a patent, right? It's more like a patent. Is I go out, I find my first job, I set myself a goal every month. I have to save how much money. After certain years, they should give me a certain kind of you know, enough deposits so I can buy my first apartment or little house, whatever. Mm. And I suddenly can, can build my own foundations, right? Right, right. And, and start to raise my family. But in your generations. Even for your first job or the second jobs, I mean, if you look at the uh, uh, the consumers, um, the all the pricings, even the uh, the the uh, the real estates, I mean, that's the uh, cost of living. It's much higher. I mean, it's it's very hard for the young generation to have such kind of saving per month. And and if they look at the uh, the price of the real estates, I mean, that's here today, they'll give it up. They they just give it up. And they turn around, they will find a way to enjoy themselves. I mean. Go to fine dining. I mean the uh, uh, particular. I mean that's yeah, now we have all these yeah, social media, right? Mm-hmm. So now th- these guys. I mean go to what place? I mean also you, oh, even. I mean that's yeah, all these budget flights. A lot of young generation. And then they said it's not practical for me to to fix certain kind of saving. Even I keep policy my principle. After fifteen years, I still don't have enough money to pay the deposit for my first house. That's our reality, though. But I'm, yeah. you, it's really rare for somebody your generation to sort of understand, especially someone Taiwanese. Honestly, Daddy, you know, it's like a lot of my Taiwanese friends with their parents. They mm. have no sympathy or empathy for what our generation is going through. A lot of parents, a lot of Taiwanese parents. I mean, they see, uh, they still expect their children. I mean, follow the pattern they had thirty or forty years ago, because um, they they just want to put the pressure on their children. Mm-hmm. They want to put the pressure on them, and then see, uh, just hope. Just hope. I mean, they 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 will they will do something just like they did some I mean, forty years ago. But the the problem is, I mean, the dispensable cash they had that you had in your generation is different than in in my generation. Yeah, <laughs> I'm like, what dispensable cash? There is none. <laughs> yeah, yeah <laughs> no. th- exactly. Yeah, exactly. I'm constantly living in fear of like how much money I have or what's coming in. Hey, goatees! It's Priska. Sorry to interrupt. I just wanted to stop by and say thank you so much for tuning into our special two-part series about our dads. 
If you're enjoying what we're doing, please consider supporting our podcast. Whether you're able to give $1 or $5, any little bit helps us cover our podcast expenses. If you'd like to give, head to twohornygoats.com and hit support us or find us on PayPal at Two Horny Goats. We love you all so much. Okay, now back to Roxy's interview with her dad. Daddy, I mean, when you were talking about parents having expectations of children, did you have any expectations of me? And how did I turn out <laughs> based on what you uh, expected? <laughs> if, if, I say, if I tell you I don't, then I'm lying, right? <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, yes. I'm curious. I want to know what you thought I would turn out. I, I, I'm really curious. Uh, I think this year, my expectation on you mm-hmm. just keep changing, right? Yeah. Because you know, when you were born, I said, okay, I have a lot of expectation on you. Oh, I want you to be a musician. I want you to do this and do that. Okay, <laughs> could be a good artist and it could be a good scientist. <laughs> and then when you go to the uh, elementary school, uh, uh-huh. because at that time you are fascinating to be your elf, the flight attendant. That's right? <laughs> <Yes>, true. <laughs> <laughs> I said, yeah, okay, flight attendant is not a bad job. So, okay, uh, okay, maybe yeah. She, so supportive. She, yeah, yeah. She will come across with the captains. Okay, the Marys and live happily ever after, right? And then when you to the high school, it's come a different story. Right? Then you come across different friends and they say, ah, I think that's yeah, my expectation of Roxy to make sure she's going to the universities that they should deserve to have, right? Uh-huh. And then when you go to the university, it's a completely <laughs> different story because at that time I moved back to Taiwan, right? Yeah. And see, you live by your own in, in, in the States. I mean, that's in LA by yourself. Mm-hmm. And then after that, I mean, you become the, uh, um, uh, you, you, after you graduate, is, I mean, that's, uh, you, have, you have your own jobs and you pursue your own career. So I thought my expectation on you is always just keep changing because uh, sometimes expectations also have to be compromised with the reality, right? Right. <laughs> we can have a high expectation on you. But if we didn't realize, I mean, if we really take the reality into consideration, our expectation will be become a tremendous pressure on you. It's not going to help the relationship that we have. Right. It, it, it will become a non-stop judgment. Yes. Which is okay. a pattern in a lot of Asian American families. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Because, I mean, judgment, judgment is it's how we learn from our parents. Because our parents did the same thing on us. Right, right. Like, Daddy, do you think you would turn out any differently if Grandpa survived, you know, liver cancer and he was... Because he had a very different way of implementing discipline than Grandma did. So, like, how different do you think you would have turned out under that situation? I I think, I mean, this year, if your Grandpa didn't die at such an early age, right... Mm-hmm. Maybe my personality, my caress, I mean, my character will change completely. I think so. Because the, uh, your grandpa is a very, very serious businessman. Mm-hmm. He hardly smiles. He always put a lot of pressure on himself. He always, I mean, that's he uh, make sure that all the bookkeepings is exactly correct. And all the cash flow is exactly correct. All the inventory must match. Like down to the very penny, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't call him a bean counter, but... <laughs> 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 Pretty much so. Because, Dad, what I love about you and what like you've taught me and what you've shown so many people around you is what mm. I call your joie de vivre, your um, 
I think it's called the joy of life in French. It's like mm. you've never lost your inner child, no matter how old you got. How important is that to you? And like, uh, what would you say to people who have lost or felt like it's not important to maintain that? It's so vital to me. Yeah. Because I mean, as I said, I put a lot of pressure on myself at work.、Mm-hmm. I always set a very high standards for myself to achieve, to balance myself. I mean. When I'm not at work, I need to be myself. Yes. So be myself meaning I don't. I have to remove the mask that I was every day at work, right?、Mm-hmm. So I could be like ten years old kid. You saw that many <laughs> times, right? After a few drinks, right? <laughs> no. Even without、uh, drinks. <laughs> <laughs> Because I found it's very, very important to me. I mean, to balance the.、Um, it's also that's also a very good asset to release my stress. A lot of people they found it's difficult to really, I mean, showing their real inner. Because I mean, they have all these facial issues under the, the how do you call this? I mean. The facial issue,、uh, the face issues, right? Oh yes, no, yeah, yeah totally, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I mean, they have to maintain themselves certain kind of styles. I mean, that's yeah. I mean, they set themselves with certain kind of discipline. But I think to me, it's really not that important because I mean, you are who you are. <laughs> well, that's what that's interesting because I feel like、um, I have so many questions for you. Just like hearing you talk about this.、Mm. There's two things I particularly want to pinpoint, Daddy. I remember、yeah. when you moved back to Taiwan. There、yeah. was a certain time in your life when your career was really terrible for you.、Mm, sure, like it really took a toll on your mental health.、Mm. And mental health is not something that we discuss in our culture、mm. or in our community.、Mm. And I remembered you would just be up at night, sitting and sweating. Yeah. You know, from how much pressure you had,、mm. what did you learn from that? And what do you think about the discussion of mental health? In our community and our culture today. Thank you for picking this up because yeah,、uh, I think that again there was the、uh, quite challenging years during my career. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, because I mean at that time,、uh, what happened? I think it was the、uh, during the two thousand eight and nine when we had the、uh, all this year、uh, huge financial tsunami. Yeah, it was the recession. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so there was a、uh, huge recessions. I mean. By the family maze, I mean the financial crisis at that time. So businesses get affected, but again because the,、uh, I was the president in public listed company here, then naturally there's a lot of expectation from the shareholders. I was, I was taking a lot of pressures, and still I just don't have the answer for a lot of million dollar questions.、Mm-hmm. So I was puzzled. I was stressful, so that's why I just couldn't sleep, and that was the、uh, two very terrible years. But eventually, I just、uh, I turned around. I just asked myself. I said, I have to let myself go because if I keep pushing myself to the limit, what is going to help? Because number one, I won't make even more. Objective decisions, right? Because a lot of decisions will be affected by my emotions. And secondly, I just ask myself. I just tell myself, why should I have to carry all the things by myself only? Yes. Okay. Thirdly, if I didn't do this job right, 
if I fail, the world still remain the same tomorrow, right? Mm-hmm. So why should I give myself so much pressure? And 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 I looked further into, I analyzed and further into the situation. So I found what is the what are the root cause for my pressure, and I found out it wasn't myself. It was it associates with the board. Mm-hmm. It was associates with the business decisions. It was associated with the company strategies that I didn't agree with. Mm, conflict of interest. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so I, I just ask myself that if those things I don't think is the right decisions, and because my title, because I need to execute, I mean, whatever decision be made by the board, right? I said this, this is a, this is a big conflict. I don't buy in the, the decision they made, and I need to execute this. I need to ensure the success. I said this is crazy. So I resign. Wow, and that's a huge move. Yeah, that was a huge move. And do I have a fear? Sure, I do have a fear. I don't know where's my next job. <laughs> okay, tell me what that was like. Like taking such a big leap like that, and also resigning from something that's almost unheard of in our culture. Quitting almost. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah. How powerful is that? When you consider to resign from an organizations i think your biggest fear will be where will be your next job mm-hmm. where your next jobs duplicate or repeat the same situation you are having now right right right, right. okay and where your next job will provide i mean the uh, financial stabilities to the family mm-hmm. because you can get a job right but if the paycheck is far less than you're having now, then you've got issues. Right. You need to pay mortgage. You need to pay for the car loan, right? Yeah. So, so there's a lot of things you need to take into consideration. But again, in my career, I always make a very careful step every time when I make changes. I have to bear certain kind of your pressures and burdens, but I think before I make the next move, I always want to be sure my next step, the foundation is solid. And I know this will be a better job than the previous one or the current one. Dad, so like, you know, you worked overseas for so many years. Mm. Coming back to Taiwan is kind of strange because you've went through so much internally Mm. on your journey and coming back to a place that almost felt like the same. You know, it's like coming Mm. home feels the Mm. same sometimes and like, you know, sometimes you feel like you outgrew other people. How has your mentality changed after living overseas? Uh, I, I think the, uh, my mentality changed quite a bit. I learned a lot of things. I mean, this, during my 20 years journey in overseas, uh, just then the few. My mentality is very simple. Whatever promises, promise. Doesn't matter in writing or by verbal. Whatever I promise, I will keep them. Mm. This is, I'm stro- so strongly influenced by the Europeans. Mm. And this is, this, this, uh, because in Europe, I learned one thing. I mean, it's very funny. When people just come back from the holidays, next week they are working on their, they are booking their holiday for next year. Yeah. <laughs> and and that, 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 it was shocking to me. I said, why did they plan ahead for so long? Because that's a part of cultures in Europe. It's very funny. 
in Europe, if you make appointments with somebody, I mean, even for three months later, you don't have to remind them. Wow. You just show that three months later, and they will be there for you. That's amazing. People cancel all the time. <laughs> they keep their word. And that, that again, I mean, that's, that's one thing that influenced my mentality very strongly. Frankly speaking, when I moved back, I also had a cultural shock. Yeah. A lot of things which I, I took it for granted is different. Because in, during 20 years, I mean, living overseas, I still come back to Taiwan three or four times a year, right? Mm-hmm. I consider myself, I, I still not totally disconnected from this island mm-hmm. in the past 20 years. But when I moved back, when I started to really, I mean, work deep into, started to get involved all the medical systems and the tax law and also this year, um, people's mentalities also changed, I mean, in Taiwan. Mm-hmm. The living condition is much better than 20 years ago. People have a lot more, I mean, dispendable cash to spend. They're looking for more luxury stuff. Even some of the occasion I went to, um, some of the venues I went to, I mean, the wine they drinks, I mean, I almost drop my jaw. I mean, they can drink the uh, the, the Opus one, just like water. <laughs> well, Daddy, did you feel like you had, like, the people you grew up with or, you know, your old classmates, you have you have a different experience. So did you ever find that you have different conflicting values or opinions? Or oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Do you feel isolated from them? I mean, you don't because you're so good at being social, but, like, do you feel othered, like... You're the outlier now. I would think that you're living overseas. I always have more advanced information than the people living in Taiwan. But when I come back to Taiwan, I found out that there's a lot of luxury goods even I wasn't aware of. Just as a name of you. Because you, you remember that see, I was a smoker, right? Yes. When we were living. Uh, I hated it. Uh, yeah. So so <laughs> when, I went back to, when I went back to Taiwan, somebody passed me, I mean, they see a cigarette. Mm-hmm. I said, what kind of cigarettes is this? Oh, this is the best cigarettes you can find in the world. I said, what is that? It's called Davidoff. Oh. <laughs> I said, okay, I know Davidoff. Davidoff makes very good cigar. I didn't <laughs> know Davidoff even makes cigarettes. And this, at that time, it was a pack of cigarettes, maybe $4, $5 a pack. <laughs> it was very expensive. <laughs> and, I, and I was shocking. That's How come I mean, people in this island... They know a lot of things even beyond my knowledge. Where, where do they come from? And then again, and then see, uh, I don't have to mention that see, uh, all this uh, luxury wine, whiskey, and then see, a lot of things are unheard of to me. And they sell very popular in Taiwan. So, so that's continued, that's uh, you, 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 your questions. Among my classmates, for example, right? So after, I mean, that's uh, the only time we, sp- we, we spent together uh, for the were for those four years when we are back in the uh, in university, right? Mm-hmm. So after graduations, we pursue our careers and we get married. And then people have a different journey. They, they earn different, I would say, see, uh, their incomes. I mean, also, I mean, different. So I can see very clearly. I mean, they see uh, some classmates, they have, you know, they work harder or they get lucky. I mean, they, they have a ha- much bigger paychecks, right? They live in their different tiers of life. And some classmates, I mean, they retired after 25 years, been working for the government. When we have the gathering, I can see very clearly. The people have, the, the classmates have the deeper pocket. 
they always speak louder. Oh. Even those, even those emphasize this is your classmate gallery, right? Okay, mm. there, there's there's no any difference. Everybody's, I mean, they uh, pay the same. I mean, they contribute the same expenses, but still, you can feel that some people they have a bigger, uh, they make a bigger chunk of money. They were short of her. I mean, much more than the other people who didn't. Do you think that comes from people who were not rich in the beginning come into money? They always, they act that way because when I know people who have old wealth, they never act like that. Yeah, I think the possibility is is high. People when they were poor and then when they get rich, mm-hmm. they were deemed that is the actually their one of their personal achievements, and they want people to recognize that. And the, the 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 kids, I mean, they I mean, they see, come from the rich family, all right, and they also uh, make a good chunk of the money. I mean, during their career, um, mostly they still maintain quite low profile. Yes, that's what I experience as well. That's mm. a very clear pattern that I see. Yeah. Um, okay, Dad. Well, since we're closing in on our interview here. I think we're closing in on almost an hour. Wow. Does wow, that feel time flies, doesn't it? Huh? Time flies. So much yeah. to share. Daddy, yeah. do you have any, first of all, do you have any advice for me? I think you're mature enough. Um, as I told you many times in the past, the industry you are in, I'm not familiar with. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So I'm no longer even, uh, I think I told you this year when you graduate from the high school, I, I cannot coach in your futures anymore. Mm. Because you know better what you would like to pursue. So I think this for you is, is very important. Just like you need to be yourself. And I just want you to enjoy your happy life. Aww. Mom and I, we, used to, uh, we told you many times, we just want to be your best friend. Yeah. Yeah? You, you remember are. that? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And you would just like to be supportive when you. When we are needed, and, and and again, I mean, they say you have your goal, you have your objective, you want to achieve, and it's your life. And we just want to support you, and then you can pursue, I mean, whatever that's your objective you want to achieve. Thanks, Dad. Well, this is a very unusual Christmas, right? Because you know, traditionally, we always get to get together on the Christmas Day, but I mean, this year is different. This but, year is very different. But then we have here this year. Father and daughter's interview. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I mean that it's it's delightful because you know me and Priscilla have been friends for twelve years now, and this podcast continues to show us things we didn't know about each other. And yeah. I definitely learned a lot of new things about you today too that I didn't know before. Wow! But you know, the other thing is, I mean, uh, I moved back to town for how many years? Wow! For a long ass time now, Dad. 15 years or 14, 13, 14 years? I mean, I was 18, so 14 yeah, years. Yeah. yeah. So my English is n- no longer the same what I was. What uh, I, your English right. is fucking great, Dad. Yeah. No, no. So, so awesome. I think that's yeah, for your audience. I mean, if you, I hope you enjoy my Chinglish. <laughs> uh, by the way, so I need to run no my commercial. No, at I, all. No, 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 no. Can I run my commercial, please? Yes, okay. Go ahead. You, okay, this so, is your ad. Okay. Yeah, so, so whoever you are listening to this podcast, right? <laughs> if you're interested to learn Chinglish, remember, <laughs> call this 1 800 Chinglish and have your credit card ready. <laughs> How much do you charge? Well, this. 
50p? <laughs> 50p? What the <laughs> fuck is that? <laughs> all right, take no. this money. I would be all happy right, to so. learn your Chinglish, Dad. All right, okay. thank you, Dad. Okay, Merry Christmas and Happy Holiday. Happy yeah. Holiday. Since because we're doing this kind of special um, two-part series, um, we're going to finish things off a little bit differently. And mm. Roxy, yes. can you tell the people what we are doing instead of unsolicited picks and tarot reading? And it's just been such a personal journey with our yeah. fathers, you yeah. know? And we've been rooting it back to, you know, the anti-Asian attack on our elderly. I was talking about little big women. It feels super Taiwanese. Yeah. And instead of doing the tarot cards polls, I thought, why don't we just share a little bit of our Taiwanese culture with right. you? Yes! So for these two episodes, and maybe more, just let us know if you like this yeah. or if you prefer the tarot polls. Yeah. Um, but we're going to be doing a Let's Learn Taiwanese segment. <laughs> and and Goatees, this is just as much for you as it is for me because I don't speak any Taiwanese. And Roxy is is conversationally very fluent um, and she speaks it with her parents. Um, and so I am, I feel so honored to get Taiwanese lessons from the best. I expect you to be fluent I'm by ready. the end of the year, girl. Okay. Because also Taiwanese, Hokkien Taiwanese, this dialect is a dying dialect. It just hurts my heart to think that, you know, younger Taiwanese people are no longer speaking Taiwanese. Yeah. So my parents coming from the South, you know, this is what we mostly speak. Wow. So I'm happy to share it. We're going to call this Let's Speak Taiwanese. Lai Gong Dai Gi, which is how we would say it Lai in Taiwanese. Gong, Lai Gong Dai Gi. That is perfect, Priska. So <laughs> everybody, try. Lai Gong Dai Gi. So for the phrase we're going to be learning today is actually something quite significant. Okay. It is a common greeting okay. in Taiwan, and it's called Jia Ba Boy. Jia Ba Boy. Yes, and it means in oh. Mandarin, which also translates to English, have you eaten? Have you eaten? So traditionally, or just normally, you would have, um, you know, someone, your mom would call you, and then you would pick up the phone. Instead of saying hello, she'll say, have you eaten? Wow. Let's so, talk about food and the meaning of that. I know. So it's crazy because the way an Asian parent says, I love you is basically, have you eaten yet? Yes. Because it's like, I care about your wellness. I care about your health. Yes. I care about, um, almost like your financial ability to feed yourself. There's kind of that kind of context mm. to it. It means I love you. Yes. And, and you know, our dads say, I love you. And in yes. both of our interviews, our dad says, I love you, which mm. might be jarring to some of our listeners. It's very advanced. Yeah. It's very, it's advanced because <laughs> yeah. a lot of Asian parents aren't accustomed to saying, I love you. But yes. instead, instead of, I think a lot of us focus on the negation, mm -hmm. like the lack of, I love you. But also I, I would put into the courts that th there is this addition of have you eaten How, are you cared for do you have sustenance that is perfect so what is so is eat ba is full full way is the negation so so it's like to eat but is to feel full so have you like are you full 
but not. You know, it's oh, like okay. it's a conjugation. Like tsulama, tsulame, tsulame. Yeah, yeah. So it's that negative conjugation. Anyways, for us non-Asian listeners, yeah, sorry, this way. is not a grammar <laughs> lesson. No, that's great. Like, really? Yeah. yeah. So that's I didn't how know that works. Each of those words. Okay, I see. Okay, tsulame. So it's like, have you eaten or not? Yes. Okay, got it. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, guys. Yes. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode. I hope that you enjoyed a very intimate part of my soul on this episode. And let's make sure y'all horn you girls tune in for our next week's episode where we will feature Priska's interview with her dad, which I'm so excited to dig into because I've also listened to that episode and it is fucking incredible oh my goodness well yeah. rox thanks for sharing so much let us know what you think about these kind of special you know um series that we're doing because we're hoping to do more of them with that have a horny week our lovely goatees and remember stay horny <laughs>《This podcast is hosted by Roxy and Priska. Music by Abraham Kim. Engineering by Abraham Kim at the Shire Studios. Artwork by Connie Yen. Please visit us at twohornygoats.com. Have thoughts or questions for us? Email us at hello at twohornygoats.com. <laughs> 请不吝点赞<音樂><音樂><音樂><音樂>心情不好，人会知影。